0: This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Vogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And I'm here today with Maxwell Vogue. Hey, everybody. And uh, Max and I are joined today by uh, Stephanie Bickreiter. And Stephanie is, uh, well, she's in charge of additive manufacturing at Deutsche Bahn, uh, which is the German national railways and one of the largest railways in the world. And on top of that, she's also, uh, heads up, mobility goes additive. And uh, so Deutsche Bahn had a really particular problem, which was that they have very large parts that have to last sometimes 20 to 30 years. And uh, for additive, they're very large. We're talking parts of a meter or parts of 50, 60 centimeters out of metal. And these parts would need to be industrialized. They would need to be checked. They would need to be qualified for a rail and they would have to last for decades. So how do you do that? Well, even for a company as large as Deutsche Bahn, it was not a challenge they could undertake. So they formed Mobility Goes Additive, which is an alliance of not only Deutsche Bahn, but other national railways across the continent of Europe and a whole bunch of service companies and OEMs and metal powder companies and all sorts of people who want to industrialize manufacturing for a rail. So that's, I think, a really exciting way to do it. Everybody's kind of talking about the ecosystem, but Mobility is additive making an ecosystem. So that's very, very exciting. Welcome, Stephanie, to the call. Welcome, Stephanie.
1: Hi, hello, and thank you very much for the warm introduction. Oh, okay.
0: Thanks yeah, for joining anytime, us. Anytime. Yeah, so tell us a little bit first about, like, how did you get involved in additive? What's your, what was your first experiences with additive manufacturing?
1: Yeah, that is really funny because uh, one day I was in a different uh, job at that time within Deutsche Bahn, the German railway, and uh, my interns told me um, we have to go to a fair, which is uh, CBIT, the big computer fair in Hanover. And then I said, "Okay, I don't have any time. Please pick some interesting things which might be interesting. And then they showed me on the fair, you have to take a look at 3D printing. And I said, yeah, sounds good. And after that visit of the fair, I was definitely um, yeah, convinced that we need something like additive manufacturing for our spare parts business. And then I came back into my corporate and I was really enthusiastic. And I spoke about that to the first colleagues from the procurement department. They always have problems with getting the right Um, spare parts on time especially for old trains you just mentioned that and um, they said no we don't need that leave it to the automotives not (laughs) relevant and I said oh wow if you give me a no I won't accept it (laughs) and that is now five years ago and meanwhile we've printed more than 20,000 parts it's definitely a great solution for our obsolescence problem and yeah this is how it started
0: and and I think just just so, so the main drivers for you guys were you had out of production parts and you had a vast number of parts, right? So I assume yeah, the, the the yeah
1: exactly. We have a vast number of parts. So just for the rolling stock, not talking about infrastructure, which also belongs uh, to the corporate, uh, we mm-hmm. have spare parts on stock worth six hundred million euros a year. So you can imagine if we can just print 10% out of that, uh, that would be a huge help for us. And we're talking um, about very old trains, uh, sometimes 30, 40 years old. And now maybe you can imagine that it's really tough to get the right spare parts on the markets. And this is when additive manufacturing comes in.
2: So How long have you guys then actually been printing parts uh, to go into the trains?
1: Um, we started end of 2015 so uh, nearly five years now and of course first you have to get some knowledge about the right use cases on first hand, then the matching technologies and materials and that t- took a while mm-hmm. and I can still uh, remember when we went to our maintenance sites and tried uh, to convince our colleagues uh, that that might be a great solution They were just like, oh, no, uh, you can just do like Pokemons with uh, desktop. (laughs) (laughs) That's not relevant. And uh, then we decided to print the first metal part, which was a terminal box. And to be honest, that's not an economic case at all. But when we gave this into their hands, they really were like, wow, if you can do metal, that might be interesting and so you could really see from the faces how they opened up and uh yeah at that point we got them
2: and then when did uh, the first part actually go into a train or go in into a, an actual usable piece that you were going to use
1: oh the first one already 2015 but that was oh no, hang-
2: right away got yeah, it right away
1: <laughs> but those were little plastic parts hook hangers and uh, we. Right. Um, anymore Um, and one uh, half a year later we printed that metal part already and that already goes with the trains Uh, and that was really interesting because um, of course you have to do a lot of approval if you bring parts into a train because uh, several hundred of people uh, might be sitting in the train and so everything has to be approved of course and we're not talking about prototypes So um, we have to do the whole certification process and approval, which is very annoying, takes a lot of time and costs (laughs) a lot of money. But um, still, of course, you have to prove that. And um, yeah, so the first part when it was already two years in the trains, uh, my colleagues in the maintenance workshop were like uh, um, opening the champagne bottles because when they um, cleaned it from the dirt after two years, it looked like on the first day. It was really amazing, no corrosion, nothing at all.
0: And, and what's, and if you look at you, you said you do 20,000, you've done 20,000 parts so far. Is that like mostly metal, mostly polymer? Uh, what's the breakdown on those
1: parts? Yeah, it's it's mostly polymers because it's much easier to print them uh, if you take a look at the technologies. But also there are a lot of use cases. And of course, it's easier to bring in comfort parts. uh, That's how we call them into the trains uh, than metal parts. But meanwhile, we've even printed 27 kilogram heavy metal parts, safety relevant parts, by the way, uh, which go with a 350 kilometer High-speed trains, uh, so Mm -hmm. um, they really have to work, (laughs) and that's what Mm -hmm. we've uh, approved.
0: So you're you're talking like when you say a safety-relevant part, what does that mean out of like uh, in your in your world, let's say?
1: Um, That means that they are very close to uh, the wheel set, and everything which is close to the wheel set has to be approved. Because mm-hmm. if something happens, you would not want to imagine what happens if something uh-uh. um, disturbs that. Um, and meanwhile, we've also printed parts for the braking system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, um, yeah, that's what we consider as safety relevant.
0: And, but that, you just mentioned that it was like a 20 kilo part.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, so that, the, it's it's, <laughs> it's a big part. <laughs> it's a big part. So uh, what um, the function of that part, to explain it um, quite clearly, is if you have a high-speed train which goes into the curves, at one point you have to prevent that it goes too much into the curves. And this is uh, (laughs) what this part is taking care of.
0: Okay, okay. And, and, And what materials is that made out of? Is it just steel or?
1: Yeah, it's stainless steel. And we printed it in wire arc additive manufacturing. Because I think that's also
0: very unique. You guys are using, you're basically looking at all the technologies, right? You're just looking at anything that works. You haven't chosen one or anything?
1: We are always coming from the perspective of a user. So as soon as we've discovered a use case, uh, which we really consider as uh, making sense for additive manufacturing, then we already try to print it. And uh, to find the right technology for that. This is why we are not focused on one technology. And maybe at that point, I must um, um, say clearly that we don't own any uh, industrial machines um, at the corporate at the moment. So we rely to 100% on printing service bureaus. And this is why we don't have to focus on one um, right. technology and to take care that this machine is running all the time, but to um, focus on the right um, use cases.
0: I think I think it's a brilliant decision, by the way, to not actually yeah. go in, because especially technical people love to then buy the machine, you're gonna spend months learning this one technology or this one material and you guys have yeah, kept yourself much open. You've got that money where you're gonna invest the money where it counts, you know? But that, that means that the, – the, so for every part on the qualification, on do you work together with a different powder vendor, a different OEM? How does it work? Or do you go to the service companies? Or how does the process of you making a new part, let's say?
1: Yeah, so um, uh, we tried out several printing service bureaus, so service partners, and um, meanwhile we've established a process for suppliers who want to become a partner for Deutsche Bahn in cooperation with the certification body TUV Süd. And um, in cooperation with them, we established an audit system consisting of approximately 250 questions, which uh, a potential supplier has to prove that he can really do what he's talking about. Because if you go to fairs, of course, everyone will tell you, of course, we can do everything, which is rubbish. (laughs) But um, so to find out who's the right one, uh, which is the right company to work on, um that really Mm -hmm. makes sense and um, yeah meanwhile we have like half a dozen companies which produce for us regularly and um, apart from that we try out others for new technologies and new ideas so we're not just limited to them
0: okay and and so the wire arc you know you're going to be using for the larger parts kind of structural parts and you also use powder bed fusion right so the the laser powder bed fusion technology What, what do you use that for
1: um, for smaller parts, but um if you want to print a fifteen twenty kilogram heavy metal part in powder bed fusion, every procurement yeah. guy will fall deadly from yeah. his. of course we want to save our colleagues so this is why um, we decided to also take other uh, technologies into the focus but for smaller parts um, you get very good um, parts with with very good surfaces the density is is great Um, so um, it makes a lot of sense to also uh, print in Mm -hmm. slm or sls
2: I was just, are you seeing savings as a result of this? Like, I've, I understand some of these parts are parts you just can't get anymore, so the only way is to make them. But on, are there any parts that you're making where you're it's actually cheaper to three D print the part rather than um, buy it from the original source or machine it?
1: Yeah, it's it's not that easy to find those cherries you want to pick, but uh, right. <laughs> we've identified some. So one beautiful example is uh, printing handrail signs for blinded people. Mm-hmm. So those handrail signs are very individual. So it says this is the exit of street XYZ, and mm-hmm. then you have to translate it into braille Um, scripture, which is also a very um, individual thing. And therefore, we found out that uh, additive manufacturing cuts the cost into half. So that's really a great use case. And by the way, we make our stations much more comfortable for handicapped people.
2: That is a great
0: example. <laughs> at, at one point, you you made the choice to not do it yourself, so you went to to, to service wheels and stuff. And at one point, you guys decided to to do this whole mobility goes additive thing uh, to kind of create an, uh yeah, I don't know a bunch of fellow travelers, I guess, all doing the same thing. So, w- w- what was the reason that you wanted to do that?
1: Yeah, because uh, at the start, we had a lot of enthusiasm, but not much knowledge. So (laughs) we tried to um, do this in a joint approach with others. And at that point, that was uh, 2015, 2016, we tried to identify existing networks which might help us. And um, we found out that those existing networks were usually founded by aviation companies, which have a they use different materials, they have a different approach because they want to save weight mainly with additive manufacturing. So we decided to do this in a startup approach and found a known network which was then mobility goes additive and that was established end of 2016 so it, we just celebrated the fourth anniversary and meanwhile uh, we are one hand, more than 120 companies throughout Europe and even yeah overseas but the focus uh-huh. is on uh, European one and in the network you you can find all those companies which might be helpful and not only to us um, uh, We have a lot of users now in the network automotive companies like Volkswagen suppliers from different branches um, we have um, all those great uh, machining producers printing service bureaus universities and R&D institutes and uh, yeah Uh, So consultancies and material providers, of course. So the whole supply chain and additive manufacturing is covered now um, in the network MGA. And um, yeah, last year, our members asked us if you can do this uh, so quickly, why don't you start with medical? And then we discussed that with our railway uh, guys and they said, oh, okay, nothing speaks against that. Go ahead. (laughs) And uh, if there's no one who stops us, then we just go for it. And um, we founded um, Medical Goes Additive, which just by chance uh, started also with an M in front, which suits our abbreviation. So we started that too.
0: Mm. And and so how, do, how does it work? I mean, let's say I'm a company. Well, first of all, like, what kind of companies were you interested in or for what kind of new members would be interested uh, in joining this uh, Mobility Goes Additive?
1: So um, mainly we are are very open, so we are not restricted. It's not an exclusive network for just a couple of uh, companies. So our aim is being big and therefore raising the voice for the whole industry. And uh, what uh, we found out is that um, those companies which join the network really want to work on certain subjects. And we focus on those which one company can't solve on its own. So we established working groups which deal like um, subjects like legal framework, uh, change management aspects, ecological sustainability with uh, materials and um, so uh, and many more. So within mobility, we have eight working groups um, running and in medical another three, which also deal with approval and certification processes. So um, here you can see that uh, usually you can't do it on your own. And uh, to give you an example, in our materials working group, we've initiated a round-robin test for aluminium. If you want to do this as one company, it's awfully expensive. But if everyone brings in their machines and testing stands and so on, then you can divide costs and it's really worth doing it.
0: And, and, and so that makes sense if I'm like a railway or if I'm like, a, I don't know, like a uh, materials producer, but yeah. yeah. And how do I get involved as like a research institute or something like that?
1: Yeah. So we don't do R and D ourselves. So we are mainly user focused and we um, try to shout into the network. We need a solution for whatever, and then we are waiting for answers. And um, it really makes sense to have all those um, university institutes or Fraunhofer's or others in the network um, because sometimes they answer and say, yeah, we have something very similar, what you're looking for. So we don't need to do this from the scratch, but we can uh, just uh, maybe change little things and then we can bring it into action and cover the use case. So um, this is how it mainly works. Um, and this is how our users try to um, position their needs in the network
0: mm-hmm.
1: for uh, for you, you guys, challenge- right now. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, we're great and what what are the challenges that you're you're running into? What are the things that are really difficult?
1: Um, at the moment, um, not being able to meet in person, <laughs> but I think we're all okay. suffering from that because uh, it's much easier to meet and uh, using a coffee or a beer in the evening and try to create new ideas. Um, but we are uh, working; we we keep on working also in Corona times at uh, yeah establish other. Modes of meeting, but that's uh, at the moment that's definitely a point. If you come from a perspective of the technology, of course, there are also other um, hurdles which uh, have to be eliminated.
2: Can you give so an example of one of those hurdles? Yeah,
1: costs. So mm. <laughs> usually when. <laughs> When our uh, colleagues uh, from our, throughout the network um, try to find the right use cases, it's, all, it's often the cost aspect, which is uh, still very high. And I know that the industry is already working on that, but um, um, this is one of the hurdles. Another one is finding an equivalent to forged parts, especially in the rail sector. Um, then um, the certification aspect is is very interesting and crucial. Because if we want to talk about parts for regulated industries, and what is really interesting in Europe, most uh, sectors which deal with additive manufacturing are highly regulated, um, then we really have to make up our mind on that point. And um, it's, it's easier to do this in a joint approach.
2: And are you, and if you, is your staff generating like the 3D files themselves, or is that part of the contracting out process?
1: Yeah, so that's part uh, of the uh, different um, uh, companies in the network. Mm. So, um, the rails, and uh, meanwhile, we have eight European railway companies in the network. So it's not just Deutsche Bahn, it's Italians, uh, Swiss, uh, Dutch, um, British, now just uh, recently joined SNCF from France. So all the big and smaller railway companies, they all have the same problem. They have old parts and they need a solution, but they don't know how to cope with that. And then they need an engineering bureau or a printing service bureau who would help them to uh, first produce a virtual um, data set. So, So a digital twin, which can be printed afterwards. So they need to um, get some help from, from the industry.
0: And, and is it like, so in other industries, we keep hearing that, that some of the problem is that the parts are legally uh, you know, um, owned by the OEM or owned by the manufacturers, in this case, the train manufacturers. So, so how are you able to avoid this kind of pitfall and, and make your own spare parts? What's the difference in rail?
1: Um, because usually we focus on those abs- obsolete spare parts um, and usually no one really has an interest in, in that anymore. So if you have mm-hmm. a train, for example, you want to buy, you get uh, those guarantees from your suppliers for the first 15 years. Mm-hmm. After that, the supplier says, now I will destroy my molds. Please put everything on stock you would need for the next upcoming years. And uh, yeah, if you're perfect in a perfect world, you will find the right amount, but uh, we're not living in a perfect right. world, <laughs> unfortunately. So um, this is um, the point uh, when it's getting interesting, but at that point, uh, the, the former supplier usually has no interest in that part anymore. But of course you have to check that. Yeah? If there are still patterns on those parts, uh, you have to check that first.
0: Yeah. There's not a lot known about this actually. So it's an interesting area that nobody really focuses on about knowing which one, when you can use parts and when you can't, I think it's, it's going to be a big deal depending on the industry and depending on the design rights and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, But I I, I often get some criticism from those AM experts because usually they, um, they tell me, yeah, you're, you're not taking the whole potential of additive manufacturing because you're not designing for additive. And then I say, why do I have to do that? If I, have a solution for a problem that's fine and um putting this into the uh in the spotlight always you have to design for additive no i haven't i don't have to do anything and um uh, this is also sometimes um a, a point of discussion where um it's it's also an explanation for the higher costs but if, you, if we could all together lower the costs, then the potential is, is enormous.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think design, I've said this before, I think here as well, that, that in the one hand, I understand design for additive, but on the other hand, it's a crutch as well that keeps us in industry kind of very limited because we're basically saying to people, you have to take, uh, take, uh, undertake a new way of designing and making things throughout the whole supply chain of your part just because we have a new technology. And that doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, I I don't understand it. I mean, I don't don't understand why everybody's so gung ho about design for additive because you know, if we, in a perfect world, we would be able to make a lot of parts as is and be able to design the ones that make sense to, to make optimal use of the technology. So especially if like, you know, all the, all the old things in the world, I think it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right.
0: I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> <laughs> nice to agree with everyone. And, but uh, and then and then, so what do you see the potential of this? Because I, I mean, you're talking about 600 million, just only Deutsche Bahn, has 600 million parts on stock. And okay, I understand. We understand that if you print only a small percentage, it'll make sense. But do you have any indication whatsoever on, you know, what percentage of your parts you hope to 3D print, and, and what 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 time frame?
1: Um, yeah, interesting point. So when I was talking about the six hundred million, it was uh, um, six hundred million euros, so uh, not the number of parts. But apart from that, we assume that ten percent of the parts uh, would be printable already today. Um, But then, of course, you have to find the use case um, and then the cost aspect comes in. So it's not enough that it's uh, theoretically printable. Um, You also have to bring it into action uh, to suitable costs. And um, I think it's really interesting because when we started, uh, I also talked to other network members like Siemens, Huge Corporate or others, and they assumed that 3% were printable. Now we are already facing the 10%. And what I am really uh, interested in is whether the Dutch ING Bank is right, because they published a study, I guess, two years ago, and they um, had some forecasts that by the year 2040, 50% of all the parts worldwide will be printable. Of everything, or what? Of everything, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, I think that's <laughs> really interesting, yeah? Um, <laughs> yeah that's <if> ridiculous. It's, <laughs> uh, that's the question. If it's, it's, right. If, if, yeah, if you yeah. really see how things are proceeding, of course, we can talk about is it 2040 or 50, uh, but um, if you can, last year I joined a conference in um, in uh, Jerusalem, in Israel, mm-hmm. where they have a very vibrant um startup scene and they bring out so interesting cases like printing meat and uh printing everything Uh, so maybe it will come Uh, to the point
0: yeah from a technical viewpoint it would take too long if we needed to qualify and make these things properly you would just see how long it would take and how many people we have to do this and how many people we know that can do this and we just wouldn't have the time to do it in in a 10 to 15 year time frame yeah. it just wouldn't work yeah. so it's technically it's impossible but um, so um, even if we were looking at the ones that are in the limited set of materials that we have which is very very few of all the metals and all the polymers and even if we could assume that we would find solutions for printing these to have very very different uh, properties than than the parts made in for uh, CNC and, and cast and forging so it's nonsense what they're saying but but you know there is an element of if this is a f- self-fulfilling prophecy that if everyone believes in it then more people will believe in it and more people will do it it's kind of like the internet right the internet doesn't make sense unless everyone believes that the future of the world is the internet and then it makes sense <laughs> but even then we just wouldn't be able to do it in that kind of time frame um and if we're seeing also how how uh the the build volumes of these machines increases and how slow that is going it's it's just not going to be and it's, it's going to be only more difficult right it's not like a powder bed fusion machine that's been growing now by several centimeters a year in build volume you know, it, it's going get, to only get harder to make that machine go for a meter or something. We're going li- to hit hit some technical limitations and then to go to two meters is not obvious. It's not like it's going to be linear, it's not going to be as hard as going from 80 centimeters to one meter. So it's, it's, I don't think that's based on any kind of reality. Um, but it's, it's nice of them to be enthusiastic.
1: Of course it's hopeful.
2: I, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: I would suggest we'll meet again in 2040. With the same I like yeah, this idea. Yeah, totally, totally, totally.
2: totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Oh, I'm, I'm good, curious uh, if you're seeing an effect, if this is having an effect on the new trains uh, that DB is ordering. Like, are, are manufacturers of the trains starting to think in terms of, like, Are there parts that they're just gonna 3D print from the get-go or just give you files or are you starting to ask for files on new prints rather than them even making a tool?
1: That's really an interesting um, point because we tried to bring in this additive manufacturing in the railway sector. And exactly what happened in the aviation sector a couple of years ago, no one reacted. And then we decided, okay, then we have to force you a bit more, dear suppliers. And um, so this is what we are doing now. Also in this um, uh, cooperation with the other railway companies, we want to bring in additive manufacturing also in the beginning of the life cycle of uh, trains. And therefore we are just uh, discussing how we can integrate this in the contracts during the procurement phase and uh, mm. this is what we're going to do now this year and um, yeah i'm really interested because our dutch colleagues will implement that first um, curious how it works out yeah.
0: uh, but you're actually are so going to be stimulating or are you are you going to be like riding the turn because we don't know how you make a new train right i mean do you buy them off the shelf Does they design them for you? I assume it's
2: similar to a plane where you you order it and it takes like five years to make it kind of thing. Is that?
1: Yeah, it's exactly the same. The numbers are even smaller. And um, um, so um, there are not that many train producing companies. And the problem is not the huge corporates like Siemens or Bombardier or Alstom who are usually uh, the OEMs. But the second and third-tier suppliers, because they have to be integrated in that um, supply chain, too. And uh, yeah, they uh, are in our focus to encourage them to start with additive manufacturing. But therefore, they have to understand first what are the advantages, why do I have to do this, why do I have to invest in awfully expensive machines. And this is where the big ones have to force um, the industry a little bit. And this is what we are doing now um, in the reliability working group. That's uh, the name within the network with the other railway companies. Mm
0: -hmm. And do you think this is like, so do you think it's, it's going to be, because like you, 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 before you said that, you know, weight savings in your existing parts is not really a problem. But do you do th- because. Of, but one would think that weight saving on new trains and stuff would be a huge advantage to the industry.
1: I would not agree that it's a huge advantage. It is might okay. be an yeah. advantage because yeah. uh, in rail sometimes um, it's it doesn't really make sense to make the trains too light, um, especially okay. now in autumn we have a problem with uh, the leaves on the tracks, and if you have mm. a very heavy, yeah. heavy locomotive, then they yeah. would uh, uh, crash it away but if you have a very light one, it could slip. And um, it's not like in the aviation sector, but if you want to bring in other um, weight or heavy items into the train, then Mm -hmm. you have to take care of the X load. And so it might make sense that you reduce weight in certain um, parts and to bring in other technologies or items or whatever.
0: Yeah, my my country in the Netherlands, we are like semi obsessed with this leaves on the track thing because <laughs> <'cause> they <laughs> tell us that it's going to delay the train, right? So they tell us the reason, right? Uh, so so they literally tell everyone in the station that it's going to like there are leaves on the track and that's a problem, right? And everybody just thinks it's kind of like a, a really absurd reason for this gigantic train, like two hundred people on it, to be delayed.
1: <laughs> Rail sometimes is absurd. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So right now you're looking at explain. Uh, we're looking at. Um, hoping to
2: nudge the
0: manufacturers into yeah yeah Yeah, so we're hoping to nudge the manufacturers into additive are you also like doing completely new solutions or new things that you you would not do in any kind of traditional way
1: oh yeah we we have already so that was more a prototyping thing but uh, after 180 years of train operation we designed a new signal um which uh, is comparable to a Uh, yellow light on the um, streets. And um, we tried that out in Frankfurt and that was printed. So um, totally new ideas. And uh, also within, uh, we're we're just about to um, uh, give a prize to our employees. We had an employee competition within Deutsche Bahn, uh, which was going on now for four months. And there we could see really interesting ideas, which are absolutely new, but unfortunately I can't talk about this because they haven't received mm-hmm. the prices yet. So okay, um, maybe in our next talk, whenever <laughs> it might take place, I can talk more oh, about it.
0: 2040. 2040. <laughs> 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 we're gonna just, Hopefully we're we'll meet before bad. that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Maybe before that, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um okay okay and that's interesting and and do you also notice because like mobility if you look at mobility a little bit clearer I mean the whole concept seems to be a bit up in the air right you've got companies like Link that are making cars that you could are made for sharing you've got uh, car companies that have kind of rental type of agreements and kind of things like that are you are you thinking also more broadly
1: about mobility
0: yeah uh, like other vehicles and things
1: uh, within Deutsche Bank yes we do we do um we also have the first drones but not for passengers um in in operation um but um yeah that's what of course what we do yeah
0: okay okay and 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 just for this this, this thing i mean uh you know if you're if you're looking at this is working together what are some key things that you've learned about trying to get all these different players because I, but i've also understand i mean the utopia of this everybody working together to make the industry work sounds wonderful but everyone kind of has these agency dilemmas and these difficult type, everyone has, how do you get everyone to work together? I mean, just how do the mechanics of this? What have you learned about that?
1: In our first meeting, sometimes we have the problem that uh, um, some companies said, oh, my competitor's also in the same working group. I can't talk frankly about certain things. Um, mm-hmm. But that has changed meanwhile. I mean, everyone can decide what he wants to say or not. And, um, but they've discovered that um, the more open they are, the better are the results. And this Mm -hmm. is uh, what we are working with. And um, also um, to be honest, I was a bit um, um, worried about the Corona uh, effects Mm -hmm. and uh, I was really wondering whether all our members or some members um, might uh, leave the network Mm-hmm. Um, the opposite is the case. So mm-hmm. we get two to three mm-hmm. um, uh, membership applications every month still. Okay. That's yeah. a, How are you gonna,
0: uh, that's good, that's good. And how are you gonna expand? I mean, you've now done the medical ghost additive. Yeah. Um, how else are you gonna expand? Are you gonna add more chapters or more things or is it gonna stay more or less
1: the same? At the moment we would say we want to establish uh, the medical part. Um, so we are already working in uh, three working groups now. We just about to establish a fourth one in medical, which is now hospitals. So we have a user-focused hospital working group, which will start in January. And uh, this is, by the way, a very international group. So uh, hospitals from Switzerland, Germany, uh, the United States and uh, France and others. And uh, they want to get into an exchange. But um, if we are talking about, uh, uh, yeah, spreading the word into different sectors, um, that's not the aim at the moment. But um, um, as soon as someone brings up the idea, we are open to that. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and how does it actually work? I mean, OK, so you used to have uh, meetings, physical meetings. Mm-hmm. Now you've got everything online. How do you exchange information? How does everything get? logged and, and categorized how do you actually make progress um,
1: yeah by virtual meetings um, and they are um, even more dense than before because it's easier to meet virtually and then we have a platform which is uh, a closed membership part on our website where every member can um, uh, take a look at the results of his working group sometimes also from the other working groups we have an annual meeting which just recently took place. And even in person, it was a hybrid conference and uh, it was uh, beginning of October and exactly the day when our uh, part of Berlin went red, and <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, the Corona uh, light logic. Um, but yeah. still we had 70 people here discussing um, very interesting points from mobility, from medical, and uh, we had another hundred uh, coming in from uh, virtually so um, this is how it works and uh, we have a constant exchange we have newsletters we um, uh, publish also papers and even books Um, so but but very user focused easy to read easy Mm -hmm. to take the information this is our Mm -hmm. aim
0: and where do you hope to be like in four or five years or something with the mobility goes out of it
1: Um, Yeah, our aim is also um, to lower the hurdles so that many, many more companies and sectors can enter additive manufacturing. And therefore, we also need um, more fundings from politics. So we are also addressing um, uh, politics for funding programs. Um, We want to establish um, training um, logics for people who are young pupils, from, starting from pupils, students, uh, people who are already joining companies and so on. So the whole chain of uh, education, um, those are our aims. And also to establish standards, because as soon as you have standards, although they are usually not very sexy, um, <laughs> it really helps a lot to accelerate the number of printed parts. Yeah.
0: Perfect. All right, well, thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you so much for, for telling us all about uh, what Deutsche Bahn is doing and also what uh, uh, Mobility Goes Additives is doing, doing. I really think this is one of the most exciting things in 3D printing uh, because you are really helping uh, the industry move forward to some very difficult applications, and I uh, wish you all the best. And thank you so much for,
2: for being here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Max,
0: thank you for being here today oh, as was well. It was a pleasure.
2: No, it's, uh, this was fascinating. I agree with George. It's nice to see it being used in this effective and positive way because oftentimes we search for examples beyond the aero industry and that's good yeah. yeah excellent excellent
0: all right thank you also for listening to us so much and uh yeah my name is Joris peels i was here with maxwell vogue and uh stephanie Bricke of deutsche Bahn. and this is another episode of the 3d pod uh keep listening and keep uh, sending us suggestions of people to who we should interview and talk to and uh yeah have a great time thank you You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard
2: or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore
0: com.